Mark chapter 4, there we go, and uh, we're continuing in, in our series in the Gospel of Mark called The Lion Roars, and, and um, you know, one thing that I, I have struggled to just process all of these years that, that I've been a Christian is, is um, how anybody can reject the good news of Jesus. Like, I, I have struggled with that all of my life, just trying to figure out, trying to understand how anybody... Um, could really turn down uh, the offer that Jesus makes to us. You know, the good news of salvation is so incredible. It's so amazing. It's so, it's so astounding that human words can't fully articulate its glories and its wonders. And I think all of you who've experienced that, you, you understand that, right? You, you've experienced what it means to be forgiven of your sins. You, you've experienced having the the burden of guilt and shame removed from your life. You've experienced the power of the presence of God that you've experienced personally in your heart. You you know the assurance of not being afraid of death, knowing where you're going to be after you die, when you step into eternity. And so it's like the more we understand that, the harder it is to understand how anybody could walk away from that. You, You know what I mean? And I, and I think for I think for people that are new to the faith, I think for new believers who experience this grace in their life uh, in a dramatic way, they, their life is transformed just radically. They they immediately begin to tell other people about the gospel, and 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 they run into a, a wall of indifference and sometimes a wall of hostility from other people as they share the gospel. And I think it's a struggle for new believers for them to process why, why are people reacting in, in such a way? And so who could turn down forgiveness? Like who could turn down peace and joy? Who, who, could, who could turn down heaven? Who, who could turn down being free from, you know, the guilt and the shame? And so, and so it's, just, it's just astounding to try to figure out why, why would people reject the gospel. So the parable that we're going to look at today answers that question. And so what we're going to find out today is it's not a matter of the quality of the message or the skill in the messenger. The issue really is the condition of our heart. That's the issue. And so let me let me kind of simplify the whole matter of of the Great Commission this way. It's it's really not about the gospel message and tweaking the gospel message so it's a little bit more palatable and a little bit more, you know, acceptable. It's not about that. It's not even about the skill of the one presenting the message of the gospel. It is all about the heart of the person who's hearing the message of the gospel. That's, that is really the issue. And so, you know, throughout human history, throughout redemptive history, you know, people have, uh, scores of people have rejected God's, God's forgiveness. And this is something that, that Jesus alluded to, that he, that he talked about, that he, you know, he, in his teaching says that uh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will travel in it. Uh, but then he says, narrow is the road and uh, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And so Jesus even hinted at this. But again, the problem, the problem is the, is the heart. That, that's where the issue really is. And, uh, and it's, it's also, I think, interesting 
to watch our society and in our culture try to explain evil choices that human beings make. It's interesting watching them discuss the reality of evil and for them to kind of put their perspective and their worldview uh, around why uh, people do the things that they do. Why, why does someone walk into school and, and start killing and shooting people, right? Why do priests, uh, some priests, molest boys? Like, uh, wh why would a mother drown her children? And it's just interesting to see how the world wrestles with that question because they don't have a, a great answer for it. And what they do is they put clinical terms around it. They put psychological terms around it and they skirt the entire issue completely of the heart. They don't even go there. They don't even touch it. And, uh, and so what we see is that the heart of the problem is really uh, a problem of the heart. And what we're going to see in this passage today, uh, we're going to see different heart conditions that help us understand a little bit about why people do uh, what they do. And so we're going to read from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip down to verses 13 through 20. And I'm going to ask, if you're willing and able, would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's word today? So Mark records Jesus' teaching, and he says this, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some seed, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root. It withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Now, as we think about this, this well-known parable, uh, let, me, let me just kind of set some, some parameters for us today as we, as we can consider what Jesus is talking about here. I think first and foremost, 
uh, we, we need to understand that the seed is the word of God. And so Jesus tells us that. He helps us to understand and interpret the parable because he gives us the keys to kind of unlock it. And so the seed is the word of God. Uh, the sower is the one who is sowing uh, the word of God. And, and so there's really nothing said here. If you just kind of read through the passage, there's really not anything said about the seed in and of itself. It's the same seed. It's uh, completely identical. There's no, there's no variation in the seed at all. And it's the same sower who's sowing the seed in the same way. It's just the seed is just landing on different kinds of soil. The only variation in the parable is the kind of soil that the seed is landing on. And I think what Jesus is really trying to describe here is he's trying to describe four heart conditions that really determine how people respond to the word of God. He's giving us insight into why people kind of do what they do when the word of God comes to them. And it helps us to understand that, that the issue really is uh, the issue of the heart. And I think, I think the question for us today is, is really this, is what's, what's the current state of my heart? What, what's the current state of your heart? Where is your heart this morning? That's really the question that I think Jesus is trying to drive at. So what I want to do is I want to share with you the parable, and then I'm going to share with you Jesus' interpretation of the parable, and I want us to look at four different heart conditions. So let's look at the first one. The first heart condition that Jesus describes here is seen in verse 4. It's a hard heart. It's a hard heart. This is pretty cut and dry. Notice, notice what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, and, and he sowed some seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So, so back in Jesus' day, they would farm in the fields year after year after year, and they would walk on these paths to get to the fields. And the paths were so worn in the Mediterranean sun, they were just baked. You could only imagine uh, how dense and hard these uh, these walking paths would be. And so what Jesus is talking about is the sower goes out to sow seed and some of the seed fell on that hard path. And so, and so that's kind of the picture that, uh, that Jesus is describing for us. And, and then he, he shows us uh, the, the interpretation of this in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. And so their response is pretty cut and dry. The response is a hard heart. The, the response of these folks is to completely reject the word of God that, that comes to them. And so that's a heart condition that's, that's pretty simple and clear to understand. Jesus is simply saying there's going to be seed, the seed of the word of God, thrown on these hearts, but these hearts are just going to outright reject it because their heart is hardened to God and to his word and to the things of the spirit. Now, what we know from other scripture that it's not just that their hearts are hard and they reject it. It is that, but it's more than that. What we know is people simply don't reject the word. Uh, a lot of people think the word is dumb. Let me show this to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of experience sowing the seed of the word of God in cultures and communities all over the Mediterranean world. But notice what he said. This is his observation. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what he's doing is he's saying, you know, I've noticed a couple of different responses to the word that I preached. And the first group is the group that the Spirit of God is working in their heart. He's convicting their heart. He is, he is revealing to them their need for a Savior. That's what the word is doing in them. And what's happening is, he is the Spirit of God is working in their heart in such a way, this seed is becoming planted in them, and it's opening their eyes so that they see the, the, the person and the work of Christ, and literally the seed starts to explode inside of their heart. And their eyes begin to be open, and their hearts are soft, and they begin to receive it, and they begin to understand it, and their life is changed. That's the first person that, that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They're experiencing that power in their own life. But there's also another group of people. And the second group of people are the people that hear the word, but they think it's folly. They think it's foolishness. And they reject it. They just reject it outright. They don't even give it a second thought. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it's interesting because that word folly uh, in the Greek is the Greek word moranos. And that's, you know where, you already know where I'm going with this. Uh, that's the word we get moron from. And what he's saying is this, that for some people, people who believe <laughs> the word of the cross, they... For some people, they think those people are morons. That's literally what he's saying here. That the gospel is moronic. It's, it's just foolishness. It's just really, really dumb. That's how hard some people's hearts are to the gospel. I mean, it's not that they just reject God, but they just, they just think anybody who believes it is dumb. Now, let's just think about how we could apply this and... Uh, and, and, and kind of help us mature in our understanding. And I, I, would, I would say this, this is kind of what came uh, to my mind thinking about this passage, uh, and it's this, that, that I, think, I think all of us, we've, we've got to get to a place um, where we're not surprised that people reject the word of the cross. We have to get to that place where we're not surprised that some people react this way. And uh, I think we have to go a step further. I, I think we've got to stop being offended that, um, that people, people think we're dumb for believing it. We've got to get to that place, church. Because this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us this is how some people will respond to it. This is how some people responded to him. And so if, if, if we, you know, get all frustrated and offended, you know, that the Hollywood elite and the political elite and the corporate elite, you know, look at us and they think we're idiots, we're morons for believing the word of the cross. We can't let that discourage us. We just have to wear that as a badge of honor, right? We just have to, we just have to understand even, even the popular kids at school that you go to school with, that you would love to be running with them, you can't let it get you down and discouraged that they think you're a moron because you follow and trust in Jesus. And even the prominent families in your neighborhood, your community, or whatever, think you're crazy for the choices that you make that honor God. We've got to get past where that bothers us 
about what they think of us. And let me just kind of talk to our middle school and our high school and, and you know, and college students just for a minute today. I, I, I'm praying, I, I'm hoping, you know, that as you move about in the world, that people see the difference that Christ has made in your life. I pray that. I, I pray that they see that you're not having sex before marriage because you understand the word of God. And you understand why God commanded that for you. And I pray that they see the difference, that you're, that you're comfortable in your gender because you understand that's how God made you. He made you for his glory. He made you for his, his purposes. And, and God doesn't make mistakes. And you're, you're, and you're settled in that. And, and you're settled you know, by the fact that you're not a star athlete at Center Grove High School. And you're not a cheerleader at Whiteland High School. And you're not a star member of the, the show choir at whatever high school. You know what I mean? You're not any of that. But you're content where you are because you know that God's love for you is not based on how, how well you perform or how much you've achieved in this world. Hopefully they see all of those differences in you. That there's something different about you. Hopefully they see that. But just because they see the difference doesn't mean that they're going to they're gonna say to you, man, you're just amazing. They're not going to say that. They may look at you and say, you're just a moron. And you know what? You can be okay with that because you're not trying to please them. You're, you're pleasing God. You're pleasing God. And so I think the sooner we can get there, uh, by the grace of God and with his help, uh, the better it's going to be for all of us. And so there are going to be a lot of people that just say, nope, not for me. Uh, that's completely moronic, all right? But then there's a second heart. And uh, this, is, this is not just a hard heart. This is a little bit of a different response to the seed. This is, this is the shallow heart. Let me, let me show it to you in verse 5. Jesus says this. So he says, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And uh, since, it had, since it had no root, it withered away. Now, notice how Jesus interprets this for us in verse 16. And he says, these are the ones um, sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, this is, this is an interesting one because this is totally different from the hard heart. There's some receptivity here. With the shallow, the shallow heart, the shallow soil here, there's some receptivity to the word of God. This, the seed goes down a little bit into the word, and it's, it's, it's kind of received, you know, uh, partially here. And, um, and so Jesus says, but there's really no root here. There's not enough soil for any root, so it, it only endure, endures for a while. And so it's not, a, it's not really a full receiving here. It's just a partial receiving. It's only, it's only temporary. And then tribulation and persecution arises and uh, immediately uh, they, they, they fall away. The, the seed is, is discarded. And so, and so what we have is the first soil is just heart complete rejection. The second soil is there's some receptivity here, uh, but then they, then they reject it. Now, I, I would say this. Uh, I, I, I don't think Jesus is teaching that you can lose your salvation. I don't think that that's 
the point that he's trying to make here. Um, if you are saved, if you're truly saved, you've been justified, your past, your present, future sins have been completely forgiven. And the good work that God has started in you, he will carry it to completion. It will get, get you all the way to the end. I think what Jesus is saying here, though, is that they're going to be people that look like they're Christians, just looking externally, just looking from the outside. They're going to be people that kind of look like Christians. They, they resemble Christians, but they're really not. It's kind of like the parable of the wheat and the tares. So, so Jesus talks about the parable of how the wheat and the tares grow up together in the same field. And then at harvest time, the harvester is going to separate out the wheat and the, and the weeds. And so, but, but, you know, but until the harvest, he really can't tell the difference. And that's the point that Jesus is making in that parable. So it's, he's not saying, you know, you're saved one minute and then all of a sudden you're, you're not saved the next minute. Uh, he's just saying that there are some people that look like believers for a while, but they're, they really never were to begin with. Now, what causes these, these folks to kind of walk away? What Jesus says is tribulation and persecution. That's what he says. Uh, and it's just kind of when the heat gets on, uh, they quickly they quickly abandon things. Now, you know, in Jesus' day, and then the next couple hundred years of the early church, the reality of persecution was daily, was daily for Christians. So uh, this is something we've not experienced as Americans. We've had cultural favor for, you know, over 200 years uh, in our country. And so we've not really experienced this kind of persecution um, that they, the early church did in, in the, you know, in the, in the Roman Empire. And so like in the Roman Empire, if you, I mean, if you raised your hand and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a disciple of Jesus, there'd be a Roman soldier that would go up to you and say, uh, you see that stadium over there? That thing's full of lions. I'd like to take you over there and feed you to them right now. Would, that, would you be okay with that? And, and then all of a sudden you'd be tempted to say, you'd be tempted to say, you know what, I was just talking about, I'm kind of interested in Jesus, but I'm not really a follower yet. You know, I'm just kind of, uh, and you would, you would kind of quickly back out of that, that situation, or you'd at least be tempted to do that. I, I don't think that's where we are today. I don't, I don't see a lot of people falling away in America because of persecution, because of the word of God. I don't see that. What I see are people who fall away because of the, because of the persecution of the word of God in their own life. And let me explain what I mean. There are a number of people that for them, obedience to the word of God is a burden. And I think that's why they fall away. Because the cost is just too great for them to obey. Obey God's word. And so it's a burden to them. It's a, you know, it's a, I have to do this. And so, and so they're, faced with, they're, they're faced with a hard choice. Am I going to be obedient to the word or am I going to follow my feelings? And, and, and they just look at the word as if it's a burden, it's, it's, a, it's a yoke that they don't want to carry. It, it's just something that they're not, they're not really interested in. And, and I've seen it over the years so many times in marriages. Just, you know, throughout 
25 years of pastoral ministry, I, I've, I've seen this consistently. You know, a couple gets married, they're, they're madly in love with each other in their 20s, and uh, they think they've, they've got the perfect marriage. You know, in their mind, they're thinking, man, I've married the perfect wife, I've got the perfect husband, you know what I mean? And, and you know, then they get jobs and a house and kids and a dog, and, and, um, and at some point in their 30s and 40s, things get really tough. And, um, and for whatever reason, they just let time go by and things are just still tough and things are starting to accumulate uh, in their relationship. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wife wakes up and she just realizes I've married a complete bum. Or he wakes up and he realizes, you know what, my wife's impossible. She's just impossible. And, uh, you know, they're not fulfilling expectations. Uh, they're dissatisfied with the direction of their life. They're asking, why did I marry him? Why did I marry her? The whole nine yards. I, I'm just not happy in marriage. God wants me to be happy in marriage. That's, that's kind of uh, the thought process. And if you were to go up and talk to them and ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But I'm just, I'm just not really into my marriage right now. Like, I, I'm, just not, I'm just not real excited uh, about my marriage. I, I think my marriage is too hard for me right now. And, and they start thinking, you know what, I think I'm out. I think I'm walking away from this. And I've seen this over and over again. And it's just interesting because they've been in church long enough, they've got some Christian community around them, and they've got friends sharing with them, trying to encourage them in the midst of their struggle, and they share with them these pesky little Bible verses. You know what I mean? Just, I mean, just like a like a rock in your shoe, you know what I mean? Just a pesky little Bible verse like Mark 10, 19, where Jesus says, you know, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so that they're no longer two, but they become one. And then, and then, and then Jesus says, whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Just pesky little verses like that. Where, where God is literally saying, this is, heavenly arithmetic that one plus one equals one like two really equals one in in his arithmetic that's what he does like when when he joins two people together it's supernatural he brings them together as one and then and then he just tags it with this line whatever god has joined together let let not man separate and uh just a pesky little verse like that. And, um, you know, it just kind of gets in the way. Or they share uh, Ephesians 5.32. Man, you talk about a pesky little Bible verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. And so we forgive because God's forgiven us. And you ask anybody that's been married for any length of time, they'll tell you the key to marriage is forgiveness. And just another little pesky Bible verse. And so it just confronts them with a choice. Am I, am I going to obey God's word or am I going to walk? And I've seen it over and over again. They just walk. They just walk. And it just boils down to they're persecuted by the word. The, the word is a burden. The word just gets in the way from their happiness. And um, there's no fruit in their life, according to the shallow heart, according to Jesus about the shallow heart. Now, let me just say this parenthetically. If, if you're ever thinking about getting married, let me just give you some, some advice. Um, 
this is free, by the way. Um, if you're ever thinking about getting married one day, make a commitment in your heart that you'll marry someone who loves Jesus more than you. Because if you'll do that, when you hit that rough patch, they will love you because they love Jesus. And that's what you want. That's what you want right there. So that's the shallow heart, the hard heart. Number three, we see the divided heart. Let me show you this in verse seven. Jesus says it this way. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Then he tells us the interpretation in verse 18. Uh, he says it like this, and others, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, for me, church, the divided heart is the scariest one of the four. It really is. Uh, because you're talking about a group of people here that never actually reject the word of God. I mean, they never outright reject it. Uh, they walk in it a while, they receive it, they're walking in it, but slowly over time, what happens is the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, um, you know, starts to choke the life out of them so that they're, no, they're not bearing any fruit in their life. I mean, they're, they're doing everything externally, right? They're, they're, they're doing everything that Christian culture says you need to be doing. I mean, they're listening to Christian music, they're coming to church on Sunday, but there's, there's no real spiritual fruit in their life because it's getting choked out by, by other things. And so I think this is scary because I think, you know, the other two responses are pretty obvious. One's just completely rejecting it. Another one receives it quickly, then rejects it. But this third response, it, it never seems like there's a conscious choice here to, to reject uh, the word of God. It's just not, it's just not obvious. It's, it's, uh, and so they're just kind of caught in, in this routine. And, and so I, I think... I think there could be more of us in this camp than we maybe realize. Um, you know, if you're, if you're an older member of Stones, and by older I mean 30 and above, so, uh, but if you're an older member of Stones, you know, I, I would think you'd want to take some time to evaluate your heart and examine your heart and see where your heart is. Um, because I, I think it's easy, I, I think it's what Jesus is really saying here is, I think it's so easy just to get caught in the things of life, like our career and our job, or chasing a scholarship, an athletic scholarship for our kids. We get wrapped up into sports, or we, we, we start looking for approval from others, or we're just pursuing a safe retirement or just wanting a bigger house and more stuff. And if we're not careful, this stuff becomes the goal. It starts becoming the driver of our life. And there's nothing wrong with this. There's, there's, these things are all good things. But when they become ultimate things, then that's when there's no life and fruit in us. And I think, I think what we need is periodically just evaluating what am I living for? What am I pursuing? What's first in my life? I think we have to stop and ask that. I have the tendency, 
you have the tendency. There's a gravitational pull in all of us to, to get off course, to be, to be pulled away from God. And it's the slow drift. It's not the quick turn. It's the slow drift over time, right? And, and we, just, we just need to kind of examine that and, and see, what am I really living for? Who am I really pursuing? Who's really first or what's really first in my life? And then last, there's the fruitful heart. And uh, this is the only heart condition that leads to eternal life of the four. This is the only one. Verse 8, Jesus says it like this. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now look at Jesus' interpretation of this in verse 20. He says this, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now let's, let's kind of break this down. Jesus is saying there are three evidences for the fruitful heart. The first evidence is they hear the word and they accept the word of God into their life. That word accept literally means to embrace it. They obey it. They walk in it. They apply it. They live it. That's, that is literally what he is, he is talking to, uh, talking about. And so it's, it's the acceptance of the word where obedience is not a burden, it's a delight. Obedience is not a duty, it's a joy. And so, and so that's, that's the first evidence of, of this fruitful, fruitful soil. They hear the word, they obey the word. But notice the second piece of it, the second evidence, Jesus says you bear fruit. Now, what does he mean by fruit? Well, immediately I think our minds might go to Galatians 5, 22, and where, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit of God that's in your life. So the seed explodes with power and life in your heart, and all of a sudden you have the, at least the beginnings of love joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. You've got the beginnings of those at the very least. And then third, Jesus says, they hear the word, they accept the word, they bear fruit, and then he talks about the fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that, that increasing number there? I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but there's some days in my life when I'm not real joyful. There's some days in my life when I'm not real patient. And uh, thankfully, I don't, I don't look at the snapshots. I don't take snapshots of my life and look at those snapshots. I think what Jesus is really kind of referring to here is, is that your life's on an upward trajectory. You're growing. You're, you're more loving this year than you were last year you're more patient this year than you were last year doesn't mean you got perfect patience doesn't mean you perfectly love but it just means you're you're, you're going right you're, you're going up and to the right in your walk with God you're not stalled in your faith you're growing and changing every day as God works his sanctifying spirit in you I think that's what he's talking about that's the fruitful heart that's the soft heart and so there's obedience, there's fruit bearing, and then there is growth over time. So I just want to ask you this question, because I think this is really the point of the whole parable. What's the condition of your heart today? What's the condition of your heart? Where is your, where is your heart today? The good news of the gospel 
what makes it so amazing, what makes it so incredible, what makes it so wonderful is the good news says that, that God can give you a new heart. That God can give you a soft heart that through the power of the Spirit exploding in our hearts, He can give you a fruitful heart. It's not by us trying harder. It's not by us doing more or being better. That's not the issue. The issue is the soil of our heart, the receptivity of our heart. And are, are, we willing, are we willing to walk in the word of God? It's the greatest news, church. Don't turn it down. Don't walk away from it. Let's pray together. I want to just, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want us to just take a minute and, and pray. But before I do that, I, I want to give you an invitation uh, to, to receive Christ today, to, to really receive the message of the gospel. It begins with good news and then transitions to bad news and then trans transitions right back to good news. And the good news is that God loves you. God created you. He doesn't make mistakes. The bad news is we've sinned and we, we're separate from God. We, we're deserving of his wrath and punishment. But bouncing back to the good news, God took care of that because he gave his one and only son to take the wrath that we should have taken. He took the punishment that we should have received. And if you would believe the message of the gospel and receive it in your heart today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, as a promise, you'll be saved. That is incredibly good news. So if that's where you are today, I want to give you an invitation to make a commitment to Jesus right now Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in person, but if that's where you want to be today, you're like, I have a soft heart. I want what God is offering. So just pray this prayer. I'll lead you in a prayer. Just pray it to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. God, that I would show the world your, your goodness and your glory. Put your spirit in me that, it would, that the seed of the word would explode with fruit that others may see your goodness. Save me from my sin and I receive the gift of eternal life right now. And so God, I just thank you for every person who's prayed that prayer. We, we trust you with the harvest day in and day out. And so, God, I just ask that your spirit would confirm those who made that commitment today. And I pray, God, for the rest of us, Lord, that, that you would help us to just to examine where we are today, where our hearts are with you. We don't want to be stalled. We don't want to live in doubt. We don't want to live in distance from you. 
So God, would you just speak to right where we are now? Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you are with us. So change us that we might bear even more fruit for your glory. And all God's people said, amen and amen.